On this episode of Nurses Voices, we will be talking to the Vice President and Chief Nursing Executive of a Pediatric Rehab Hospital in Toronto about her career, her experience as a Senior Executive and Chief Nursing Executive, and her thoughts about nursing and the future. This is Nurses Voices. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Welcome to Nurses Voices. I'm Gail Donner. And I'm Mary Wheeler. Over the past two seasons of Nurses Voices, we've heard the voices of many nurses and talked about a variety of issues. Many of the discussions we've had have resulted in questions and concerns about the world of nursing work and of nursing workplaces. Today, we are going to talk to a nurse executive about her career in nursing, her perspective on the current challenges nurses and the healthcare system are facing, and her vision for the future. Welcome to Nurses Voices, Irene Andress. Irene Andress is Vice President, Programs and Services, and Chief Nursing Executive at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital in Toronto, Ontario. And she's an adjunct instructor at the Lawrence S. Bloomberg Faculty of Nursing at the University of Toronto. Irene holds a Bachelor of Nursing degree from Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson University, a Master of Nursing Administration from the University of Toronto, and is a graduate of the Rotman School of Management Advanced Healthcare and Senior Leadership Program. Irene has 30 years of experience as a leader in public health, women's and children's health, clinical care and services, interprofessional practice, and organizational learning. She is recognized as an extraordinary leader with a passion for achieving clinical excellence through transformation, partnership, and outcomes achievement. Maybe you could start, I mean, be telling us a little bit about how you came to be a chief nurse executive. You know, I, I don't really remember how I found my way uh, to nursing, but I will say it was likely how most kids these days find themselves in their careers and often influenced by peers, friends, where people are going. And so that was basically how I got to nursing. And then my journey to leadership was somewhat the same uh, when approached and asked if I would consider becoming a nurse manager. My response was, God, no, but something peaked in me. And um, so as they say, that's history. And I became a nurse manager and then proceeded progressively through many years of what you would call restructuring of healthcare to take on bigger and bigger portfolios. And I was very fortunate to work in an organization that provided lots of opportunity for growth and development with excellent mentors like you, Gil, and like you, Mary. So I would say that I ended up at Holland Bloorview as many people are describing these days, which is a point of reflection in the pandemic. When I started to think, you know, am I done here or do I want to do something a little bit different? And so when this opportunity came up, it 
allowed me the opportunity to go back to my roots. I started nursing uh, in pediatrics, in public health, in maternal, newborn, and child. And I saw the opportunity to work now with kids with disabilities. And there's never a time uh, more important uh, as we continue in this pandemic journey, even today, to be a leader in nursing and healthcare and to look at ways that we can influence what will be tomorrow. And so I think at somewhat a, a time of personal crisis, I would say um, this opportunity just kind of showed up and um, the rest is history. Mary and I sometimes say in the career work we've done that somehow you know it, timing is everything. And when opportunities come, it's important that we recognize they're for us. And it sounds mm. that's like what happened to you. Tell us a little bit about what your work is. My role is a combination role. So I have accountabilities for operations. That means I have accountability for client care, but I also have an accountability to leading the profession of nursing at the executive level. And that was a perfect opportunity to be able to influence change, to be able to see what's happening at the point of care every day. And I have numerous ways of doing that. Um, and then being able to look a little bit distant. So be able to step back, reflect on what has worked and then think about how we might need to do things a little bit differently. And so I can influence decisions in nursing and in healthcare provision like I couldn't do before. And so it allows for a great amount of innovation and creativity, being in an environment that supports teaching, academic activity and research also allows me then the, the opportunity to look at how to bring that evidence into practice every day. It's an ideal place to work to be able to influence what we need for tomorrow. Do you have an example? You talked a bit about being able to see what's happening in practice. And a lot of times people who are at the front lines say, oh, the people who run this place have no idea what I do every day. Right. But if you've got any, even a small example, I think it would help the, the viewers, listeners to really feel they understand what you're trying to do. A couple of things, being visible, being accessible, and being in the right places at the right times. And so something I struggle with and have struggled with forever is how to be there at the point of care every day, but then also having accountability for the work that is mine. And so how do you do that effectively? So be credible in what you're hearing. And so we use walkabouts, we use daily huddles. We have a practice of gathering with people every day to hear what happened yesterday so that we can influence what happens tomorrow. We happen to call them huddles, but I listen intently to what point of care leaders and staff are telling me every day. And then what I do with that is I look for patterns and themes and I try to influence, open doors, remove barriers, influence externally because the phenomenon or what's happening here 
is happening everywhere else. You, you, you have, when you talk to people, they're almost like universal truths. When I read the literature, it's like you're reading or listening to a tape that plays over and over again. So practices like that allow me to stay connected to the real world. I, I read reports. We have a hospital charge nurse here that works after hours. Nurses need access to leadership, support, and decision-making, not only during the day, but weekends, evenings. And so through that indirect source of information, I find out all kinds of things that are happening in the building and places where nurses need support. I'm also a data-driven individual. What I try to do is make sense of the information and data that I see. And I am so proud. Uh, just today, I got a view of our new nursing dashboard. I think this could be a very innovative uh, strategy that we will share. We've pulled varying data elements, put them in a dashboard that is dynamic. So it allows us to look back and it allows us to aggregate data in different ways with the intention of making better decisions into the future. And so what I've done over the last 18 months here is to think about what we're going to need six months out, a year out, not planned for staffing today, but what we will need, which means you're spending dollars. It's risky at times because you're spending money you don't necessarily have, but you know intuitively that you're going to have a certain number of people going off work for varying reasons. And so advocating for the numbers of new grads that we need to hire now, really for staffing that we need next January. In this world, how do we know what next January will bring? But I do know what the past two or three years of experience has told me here. And so using dashboards like that, will help us make better informed decisions. Will they be perfect? No, but much better than just waiting and seeing what will happen and then being in a crisis at Christmas when we know that we just don't have the staff that we need. That's the kind of work that I'd love to do using data. That work that we're doing here, maybe in a microcosm, is what needs to happen at a larger system level. We need to use all these evidence-based strategies that we've learned about over the years and use them and other techniques to be able to manage the challenges of tomorrow. How do you get your bosses to listen? Well, so far my strategies work, so I've had no problem getting them to listen. Um, but of course, there are times, it's a bit of a leap of faith at times where the data, not, not all organizations are able to have access to data like that. Um, and so I think it is a bit of a leap of faith. We use that intuition that we you know, develop as nurses. Intuition is knowledge. Um, sometimes we don't know exactly what is the, you know, the chemistry, the recipe that brings us that knowledge. Um, but sometimes we make mistakes and we say making mistakes is part of learning. It's really health human resource planning, something that we've been talking about for a long time. We need to have a much broader strategy. What's happening across Canada? We've talked for years. In fact, while I was in my master's program at the University of Toronto, which was a long time ago, to be able to have a unified voice mm -hmm. to influence 
what we know to be the practices that will support health in our discipline, in our profession, for the purpose of serving clients, patients, families, citizens. We need unique identifiers so that we could track nurses uh, across Canada, be able to identify where we have gaps, uh, where we need to address, where we may need to do things a little bit differently because nationally, some strategies might work. Provincially, again, the landscape might be different. And then at the local regional levels where, again, the variables may be quite different. Leadership at all of these levels but leadership with a consistent message, with a consistent set of agreed upon principles, uh, goals that will help us all paddle the boat together in a direction with a vision for how we are going to dig ourselves out of this crisis. The numbers of people in our discipline is not going to answer the, the demand or be there for the demand that's coming. We are basically putting fingers in the dike. We're keeping, we might just be keeping the numbers at a level where we're not in a constant crisis every day, but we know as more and more nurses retire and there will be more every year. We could see this crisis coming 15 years ago. I remember doing a, what we called model of care work focused on organizing nurses and the healthcare team in a different kind of way. And at that time, it was leading edge work. Now, people are talking about team-based nursing and leveraging different alternate models, which we had to do during the pandemic out of crisis. But over 15 years ago, we were experimenting with these models. We were testing different methods using all the categories of nurses, NPs, RPNs, RNs together to see how we could organize work differently with our colleague healthcare professionals. Because as nurses, we can't do it alone. We are dependent on our physician partners, on our allied health therapists, our RTs, our PTs, OTs, SLPs. It's a team game. Uh, we can't do it alone. But at that time, it was like a dirty word. There was really only one kind of nursing and it was focused around the RN category. And if you talked about anything other than that, it, it, was, it was a pretty nasty kind of environment. And today I see opportunity for change. Out of crisis, maybe, but out of crisis comes innovation. What I regret the most about that work 10, 15 years ago is the fact that we had the opportunity to study and evaluate some of those models mm -hmm. then that may have been able to influence some of the decisions that we had to make during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. For example, we're starting to look at learning about the intensive care unit team-based approach that was used in the peak of the pandemic to see what happened with clients, patients, how did nurses react? How did it affect other health disciplines? And through that knowledge, I am really hopeful that we find new ways of caring for clients and families. You exude a positive, hopeful attitude. How do you just keep going with that positive attitude? It's working from a strengths-based approach. 
I learned about that actually many years ago as well. We called it appreciative inquiry. Instead of looking at the world from a problem base, which sometimes we have to do, that's we were how we were taught, to be able to look at it from a strengths-based approach. What worked? Where is it working? How can we build on that? And it's about managing uh, polarities, I call them, or as, as some would refer to as paradox. Sometimes these aren't problems to be solved. They are tensions to be addressed. And so what I do find sometimes is a real hunger for learning, really being focused on making it better for clients and families. A person-centered approach is critical, balanced off with standardizing what we can. It's not about one at the sacrifice of the other. It's about doing both. So where do we standardize so that our practice is as consistent as possible? And then where do we have to shore up or make unique the care of the individual? And so I would say that going at it from a strengths-based approach, from a continuous learning approach, are some of the ways really that has fueled my energy. I learned a lot as my parents were in the, in the healthcare system. My mom had a cancer journey and my dad a dementia journey. They're both uh, passed at this point, but there's nothing like learning it from a personal perspective. And every day I learn at Holland Bloorview about the challenges, this, just the extreme challenges that people are experiencing every day to look after a child with medical complexity or a child who has undergone trauma and then learn through the eyes of the client and family. So I think part of that is also trying to make the world a better place and ultimately um, a commitment to my profession. That there are so many smart people doing similar work now that if we get together and we team up and we're open to listening to maybe what's uncomfortable, because sometimes we learn the most from the things that make us uncomfortable, we'll be able to uncover other innovations and ways of caring for people. Over the past two years, we've been hearing from nurses and where they love their job, the same as what I hear your passion, is there is leadership. What are nurses saying at Holland Bloorview? And Maybe what are a couple of other innovations that you have tackled to address their needs? So a couple of things come to mind. Nurses gather in practice councils. I think through the pandemic, many of those structures have been eroded and bundled. Um, we can barely staff our units, let alone get nurses together to talk about their practice. But we've been able to sustain that here. So every month, with the exception of some months of the year, because holidays and vacations and things like that, nurses get together and they talk about what's most important to nursing and the practice that they have that, that that they are evolving. The other, I would say, the universal truth when you talk to nurses, when you do wellness surveys or satisfaction surveys or anything like that, nurses want to learn. Nurses want access to education and they want access to education that's meaningful for them. And so that's what we're doing well here too. Sometimes, you know, in past, that would have been the first thing that we cut because, you know, finances are tight. We can't afford education. Out goes the education budget. 
here, and I won't take credit for this, it, it was here before I started, there's core education that's offered every month. That means an ongoing uh, supporting of skills, knowledge that is required at the point of care to be a qualified professional nurse. And there's a commitment to that. And nurses are held accountable to attending that. So, and then not to mention automation. Uh, we just, we have just implemented automation, closed loop medication administration, huge amount of education during that change, a fairly large change initiative to make medication management safer. Now it comes with more work and sometimes we undersell how much automation actually contributes to more nursing work. And that's a whole other issue we could talk about. But regardless, nurses are committed to that education and giving them education that they value. So we were recognized last year by the Canadian Nurses Association for providing, we were employer recognition award for um, supporting nurses to do their um, nursing certification exams. So that is in pediatrics and rehabilitation and complex continuing care. And so we every year support nurses to study, uh, to attend the exams and to do the recertifications. And that's really important to nurses who are recognized as specialists in their field as well. I think education, I think giving people an opportunity to meet and talk about their discipline uh, and, and nurses uh, have access to nurse leaders as well as mentors and coaches. And they have access to those individuals, like I said, 24 by seven. New grads need access to that learning off hours as much as they need during the day. And so our hospital charge nurses are there to support, to back them up, to provide support um, because those critical events, when they need access to knowledgeable uh, nurses, can be really challenging, especially now. So, again, I'm going to say let's look across the country a little bit. And if you had a, a message for nurses across the country, maybe for those who are in leadership roles, if you don't mind being presumptuous in that way, and for nurses, as you put it, on the front line, uh, a nurse is going to work every day because they worry about their patients, mm -hmm. families, whatever. How can we share some of your, I would say, practical optimism? I, I do think it's critically important right now. And that one voice at all levels. And I would say that's in big L leadership, but also little L leadership. Because leadership comes from everywhere. You know, as they say, lead from where you are. And I'm seeing nurses now also on social media uh, trying to influence every day from the place that they are. And some of them are in uh, really visible distress every day, talking about, you know, what's happening in their practice and, and what's happening in their healthcare settings. I think we do need a script of... Uh, aspirational goals and messages that speaks to what we want our future to look like. We need to continue to be proud of our profession, to think about speaking the truth in positive ways that build strength and momentum, 
Sometimes I hear really destructive comments being made about the discipline. And yes, uh, you know, we're not perfect. Nobody is out there. But I do believe that we need a consistent voice. I've said that before earlier um, at various levels, but there has to be consistency in that message that nurses at the point of care and nurses, whether it's a chief nursing officer or executive at the federal level, that we're all giving those same messages and we're working towards um, those goals and objectives together. They might look a little different at the local levels, but we have a consistent message. So I would say that's critically important now to influence government, to influence the kind of change that we want to see in all of our healthcare settings, whether you're in the hospital, in the home care setting, if you're in long-term care, if you're in public health, we have a common mental model for what we wanna see. I think we also need to be open to change, to dismantling some of the old ways. And so of course, uh, leading, reading recently a number of um, amazing articles on the discipline, I think we need to be open to doing things differently listening to clients and families, you know, looking at the continuum of care, the journey, why are people moving in fragmented ways through the system? Uh, we need to be open to change, which isn't easy. The dismantling, it sounds so easy, but it actually is so difficult. But if we're committed to those common themes and objectives, Surely nobody's job is at risk right now. We are so short of nurses. This is, the, this is the greatest opportunity time to be making change, which makes sense um, to, to those that we serve. So I think being open, I often say, you know, we don't actually care for patients that much differently today than Florence Nightingale did at the, you know, the end of the 18th century. So what uh, we need to be open to using technology. Virtual care has opened a lot of great windows. Of course, we have to use those technologies very carefully so that we don't marginalize people. Again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's look at what's worked in the past and continue those things that we did that were so successful. So we know that nurses require preceptorship. We need to build and, and engage and maintain our senior nurses in the system for the purpose of, of education. Um, you know, during the pandemic, I heard that many retired nurses returned to play a role at the point of care to support um, fledgling new nurses coming into the profession. We had, I guess, again, in Ontario, the late career nurse initiative years ago, bring it back. Let's look at how we can redesign it to make sense for today. New grad guarantee, the same thing. How can we standardize the learning that we know everyone needs and then customize the parts that people need in order to work in specialty areas? But we can't fund one at the sacrifice of the other. We can't put all of our money into intensive care or to surgical recovery because that takes nurses away from long-term care. So it's about, again, polarities to manage. How do you do all of this and keep moving forward in this recovery phase? What needs to happen to make that happen? We need to find allies. Okay. People who can unlock doors or share that future. Um, some of it 
does come from our professional organizations. We need to work with our labor unions and listen to what they're telling us. There are truths everywhere. There are some truths that make us more uncomfortable than others, but leveraging all of the players in different ways, leveraging the leaders in the system who, like our CEOs, leveraging government leaders. And, mm -hmm. and it's not all about the money. It mm -hmm. is sometimes about um, the willingness to do courageous work, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't short-term yeah. work. It's long-term work. We won't see the benefits in six months or a year. These are initiatives that take multiple years. And so divide it down, break it up, right. however we need to do it so that we can start baby steps towards a direction that makes sense. We're always talking about courageous conversations, but I think we've had the courageous conversations. What you're talking about is the courageous work. I'd like to take it back to you. I'd love to know what brings you joy. I think the learning part is what gives me energy every day. Just always trying to look for the nuggets of knowledge that we can glean and then leveraging that for the purpose of making things better. And I think what gives me hope every day and gives me great joy is when I see successes being recognized and celebrated every day. And when nurses are so proud, we just had three nurses write their CNA examinations recently, and all three of them were successful. And we all celebrated with them. And encourage people. I think we need to do better at making nursing leadership more accessible to everyone. That is a challenge that we need to take on because nursing leadership isn't as, as diverse in its makeup that, that it, and it, it needs to be more so that way. So challenging ourselves to mentor and coach individuals who can bring more diversity uh, to the nursing leadership tables, I think is something that drives me now at the end of the day, what keeps you awake? The fear that we will make the same mistakes over again and repeat history, where we know now world economics are in a really bad place and that we repeat the mistakes that we made. And instead of investing in what we know works, we go about taking out the resources from those initiatives and we cause more of a spiral down. And then we do a lot of silly things in terms of assigning this kind of work to individuals that can't possibly manage the complexity of the needs of individuals today. And it is a combination of roles that's required. So I can only hope that we have learned that we've shared that knowledge as much as we can and that we inform the right decisions to happen in, in the next couple of years. All I can say, Irene, is when I listen to you and see your face, I say, nursing is in pretty good hands. We just need to clone a few more Irene's. Oh, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of season two of Nurses Voices. We look forward to seeing you in our next and last episode of the season. Until then, we encourage you to view previous episodes from the season and from our first season. I'm sure you'll find them interesting. 
You can view and listen to Nurses Voices on a variety of platforms, including YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you want to give us any feedback, please connect with us through nursesvoices.ca. And remember to sign up for our e-newsletter. Nurses Voices is sponsored by Pfizer Canada. It is created by Donner Mueller. It is produced by Sector Limited. It is supported by the Canadian Nurses Foundation and the Canadian Nurses Association. Music